What do you do on Sundays? We talk about Kate Blanchett, the acting, the costumes, the awards, but mostly the Blanchett of it all. Oh, oh I'm not acting. <laughs> you think this is a love affair? I saw you, Erica, meeting in the middle. This is Sundays with Kate, and I'm your host, Mortada El Fadl. Welcome to a new episode of Sundays with Kate, our podcast series about the films of Kate Blanchett. Each week, we choose a Kate Blanchett movie and talk about it with a guest. And my guest this week is the host of the runner-up podcast and writer at Gold Derby, Kevin Jacobson. Hey, Kevin. Oh, hey, Mortada. How is it going? Not bad. Interesting week to be talking about this. I don't know. It's just, <laughs> there's a lot going on in the world right now. But let's go back to 2004. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot going on in the world. Yeah. And, you know, 2004 is when the movie we're talking about took place. So we're talking yes. about Kate Blanchett's 2015 movie, Truth, in which she starred as Mary Mapes, the CBS 60 Minutes producer who ran the story on... George Bush's military service during the 2004 election. And that was um, a big story because the subsequent fallout from it, because it wasn't verified or it wasn't verified in the way that it should be, cost Dan Rather his job as anchor at CBS. And Mary herself was fired. This movie came out the same year as Carol. So she had Carol and Truth. And actually it came, even though Carol started its journey in Cannes in May, this movie made it to theaters a couple of months or a month and a half before Carol did in October of 2015. And it is written and directed by James Vanderbilt, who wrote Zodiac and produced another Kate movie. Subsequent to this, The House with a Clock on Its Walls, but is also known as the writer of the Amazing Spider-Man movies. What a resume. <laughs> it's a very strange resume. Yeah. It's like as if they, as if it's a salad and he's like, let me pick one from here, one from here, <laughs> one from there, and I'll make this career salad. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Although this movie kind of wants to be Zodiac because it is about, it's about the journalistic procedure. Like right? there, there is an investigation. There right. is, it's about the procedure of how they, how the story came together and then how the fallout happened. And in that way, it's similar to Zodiac. Yes, but perhaps inferior. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I would agree that it is inferior. Yeah. So let's start generally with sort of just like your impressions about the film. How do you feel about it? I think that truth is, first of all, the title's too vague, too vague, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I think the film itself is kind of average overall. I don't think mm -hmm. it's a bad film by any means, but I just sort of can't help but feel like other choices could have been made that would have made this a little bit more biting and sort of incisive than it actually is. Mm -hmm. And I also do think that it has a great misfortune to be coming out not only at the same time as Spotlight, mm. which is again, sort of superior in many ways, but also to come out around the same time as Carol as well. You know, in both respects, it's sort of overshadowed by films and performances that are 
some of the best examples of like you know journalism on film and also on the other hand one of kate's very best performances in carol and because of that it was very much overshadowed but i do i can say that despite a very low box office for truth i (laughs) did actually see this film in theaters so i was one of the one of the few and the brave who ventured out to see this film about journalism in theaters i think there was like four people total in the in the movie theater with me but um (laughs) I also saw it in theaters, so... Yes. Yeah, we we are the brave, the few. You're right. Yes, yes. (laughs) And I don't know. I mean, I was very interested in it at the time because, I mean, I was on the campus newspaper at, at my college, and we actually had the great fortune of having Dan Rather come by on his like speaking tour, and he he met us at the newspaper, and so I got to meet meet a very big journalistic hero and so like after that i was very invested in him as an entity and uh so i ventured out because of him and also because of kate blanchett who i will sort of probably like you murtada see any movie that she's in really absolutely (laughs) yeah no matter how middling it might end up being but ultimately i came away just sort of feeling like i'm interested in this subject but it could have been executed better i suppose yeah yeah so when you met dan rather and came he came to school was it after this happened after the story in the movie happened this was in 2013 when he came around so about nine years after the scandal of it all Mm, okay but it's really interesting um you know just meeting him and then seeing how robert redford portrayed him in this i think there's I think Robert Redford, even though he's not exactly doing like a perfect imitation of Dan Rather, I think he really captures the spirit well. And you met him in real life, so you would know. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) he does have that like that gravitas and that dignity to him that you just feel like he is kind of that father figure that he ends up being for Kate Bloodshed and for so many others. Yeah, I mean... I have no recollection of Dan Rather. I never watched the news when he was doing it. So, but I get like gravitas is something that is associated with him. Yeah. But Kate doesn't play Dan Rather. She plays Mary right. Mapes. <laughs> and Mary Mapes, this movie is based on Mary Mapes' book. The book is called Truth and Duty, The Press the president, and the privilege of power. And I agree with you, the title is very big, and maybe they could have called it Truth and Duty or something, or The Privilege of Power, even that would have been... I like that. That's punchy. I like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kate is introduced immediately, so the move, she is the center of this movie. As listeners who have listened to this podcast know, sometimes she's not the center of a lot of movies. She just makes movies that she likes with people that she likes and sometimes they're about the character she plays and sometimes they're not and this movie is one that is about the character she plays she is the center holding this film with her performance so she's introduced immediately at the beginning of the story in the sort of flashback setup scene where Mary Mapes is shown hiring a lawyer who's going to represent her during an internal investigation that CBS is doing at the time to find out what went wrong. I'm the producer. 
I put the team together. I might have something for the election. The President of the United States may have gone AWOL from the military. They do not get to do this. They do not get to smack us just for asking the question. What I liked about this movie is, as someone who loves Kate, that I love that she is the person who you're always watching. This is the movie that made it to theaters first, I think, after Blue Jasmine. So when this came out and people saw this again, Blue Jasmine was in a lot of people's minds. And that was another movie that was great. And she was the center of it. So when I was researching and reading reviews at the time, almost every critic somehow mentioned Blue Jasmine, which to <laughs> me is very funny because when you look at this performance and when you look at these two characters, they're nothing alike. The only thing that they have in common is that... Xanax. <laughs> and the drinking. Right. Yeah. I mean, she's shown drinking wine and, you know, Jasmine wasn't into wine at all. She was all about Stoli Martinis. So. Yeah. So it's funny how people get into their mind about things just because of recency bias. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, I think she does have a little bit of that sort of neuroticism about her. But yeah, they're they're two very, very different characters. Yeah. Um, And different performances, too. Like this, Mary Mapes is a professional woman. And the story is about what happened to her at her job like the movie as the part the first part of it which is the procedural of how they got the story and how they followed it and how they found the witnesses and how they interviewed them is about a journalist doing their job so this is where Kate gets to be forthright and she gets to be excited and she gets to be animated as a person doing their job and then the second half of the movie is about the fallout from that. And then this is where you see this person who is the breadwinner for her family gets to grapple with the fact that she might lose her job and what is she going to do and how does she fight back or not and how she does it. And, you know, the movie is based on Mary Mapes' book, so it's a very flattering portrait. So, she, of course, she fights back, she fights back, she becomes stronger, you know, and you get Kate doing that. And how amazing it is that Kate gets to play you, Mary Mapes. You're one lucky person. <laughs> I know. I would be so honored. <laughs> so, um, yeah. what did you think of the performance, Kevin? Uh, well, I think she's very good. You know, I don't think she's fantastic. I don't consider this necessarily one of her best performances, but I do just find her as an actress to be so compelling to watch. You know, just the choices she makes, her her voice, her body language, and it feels like she always puts so much thought into every character she plays. And I think that, you know, she really just becomes this character and you can tell that she put a lot of thought into it. You know, this can this can be a kind of role that is stereotyped a lot in Mm -hmm. films about journalism of sort of the crazy workaholic female journalist who will do anything to get the story. But I think she finds some interesting layers to her without making her too weak or too shrill or too strong or, you know, any any of those things. It's a very deceptively complicated performance, I think, that she doesn't get enough credit for because the film around her isn't necessarily as great as she is. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I think I agree with what you're saying. And I think the scene that sort of 
captures all that what you were talking about is it's later in the movie when she is in front of the she's with her lawyer in front of the panel that's investigating yeah. her and she Phenomenal gets scene. yeah mm-hmm. and she gets to deliver a monologue which is basically the cc's of the film basically saying you know nobody wants to talk about the actual story which was whether george bush dodged military service or not they want to talk about fonts and forgeries and she goes on to explain sort of what mary is is dealing with and and gives us what the movie has been trying to tell us for an hour and a half before that and it is a very fantastic scene because of her performance because the camera is just on her and she's going yeah. off at these very met- few cuts yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. she's going off at this minute across the table and this is where you know as somebody who likes skate you're like all right this is where Here it I- is <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. scene the scene yes the scene where you know we need to cheer our story was about whether bush fulfilled his service but nobody wants to talk about that they want to talk about fonts and forgeries and conspiracy theories because that's what people do these days if they don't like a story they point and scream they question your politics your objectivity hell your basic humanity, and they hope to God the truth gets lost in the scrum. And when it is finally over, and they have kicked and shouted so loud, we can't even remember what the point was. But you didn't prove it. You didn't prove uh, Ben Barnes got the president into the guard. You didn't prove the memos are real. The burden of proof is on you. By that standard, the Times would never have run the Pentagon Papers, the Post would never have listened to Deep Throat. Ben Barnes is hardly Deep Throat. Ben Barnes has confessed to abusing his power to keep some of the richest and most privileged sons of Texas from getting their asses blown up in Vietnam. Ms. Mapes, don't you think it's possible, just possible, that some of those fine young privileged men, as you call them, got into the National Guard on their own merit. No, sir. No, I do not. Great seed, and you can really see that just all the frustration that has been building up in her just kind of comes out there, but still in a way that not to the extent that she is flying off the handle, you know? it's (laughs) She's making a lot of very smart points, and it's so interesting because that is for me, that is the most interesting element of the film is how it examines how this one key part of the reporting, which is obviously a a huge part of it, but Mm -hmm. that one part ultimately comes to sort of discredit a lot of the reporting overall that had been done on Bush's military service, because you could sort of point to that and be like, Oh, see, that's an example of how, they're just trying to go after Bush and it's a re-election and, you know, it's like a hit job and none of this has merit. But really there is, there is, it's like they're missing the forest through the trees sort of thing. Yeah. Where, you know, you're focusing on this one little detail and harping on it and harping on it. But there's still a grander point to the story that is being lost. So I find that to be the most interesting element of the film that is explored really beautifully in the end. Mm -hmm. And I think what you said earlier about maybe the film around her not being as strong as the performance is both what 
is great about this scene and what's not great about the movie. Because you get one scene <laughs> where you tell me everything you want to tell and you give Blanchett a great showcase of a scene to deliver this performance. But where was that in the rest of the movie? <laughs> right. Something we were waiting for, but then it just comes right at the end. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. If we go back to talking about the procedure itself and once the fallout happens and people start questioning the veracity of the investigation of Mapes and Dan Rather, they bring back their main witness, who is played by Stacey Keach, who's a colonel in the army, who gave them the document in the first place. And that is also another scene that I really love. So they have to re-interview him on camera. But the dynamics of the relationship between Mary, Dan, and this guy have changed because he saw, he lied to them. And even though they had promised him that they wouldn't bring him or interview him on camera, they're doing that now. And they're under a lot of corporate pressure from CBS to sort of make him the fall guy, even though they both think of him as an upstanding person, as somebody they want to protect. And so the scene plays, it's actually the TV interview. Dan Rather and this guy are on camera, and Kate as Mary Mapes and another actor who plays basically their boss in CBS are trying to control the interview from behind the scenes. And I love this scene because it sort of shows you how TV interviews work, but also... Shows you the different allegiances and priorities and the corporate machinations. There's a lot happening in the scene. Everybody in the scene has a different priority, wants to do something different. Mary Mapes wants to protect Dan first and the witness second. Her boss at CBS doesn't care about anybody except CBS and maybe her own job. Dan Rather is sort of like, kind of doesn't know, you don't know where he is, but he's definitely on the side of being nice to his witness. The witness's um, wife is also in the background, and she's the one who who Mary convinced that she will protect her husband. And now she sees that that's not happening. So it's such a good scene because there's so many things happening in it. Yes, it's it's very dynamic. Yeah, I just love all of the like the little notes that they're passing Dan <laughs> that the CBS corporate person is handing to him just to make sure that he gets more definite statements Mm -hmm. saying like, why did you lie to us? Basically, instead of what Dan is doing, which is sort of trying to make the interview flow more smoothly in Mm -hmm. a way that the witness is comfortable. And he, he, that's kind of part of what Dan rather does is to sort of give that sort of integrity and that friendship of just like, you can rely on me to just have this discussion, but you know, Obviously, there are forces around him that are forcing him to do other things. And so, yeah, fantastic scene. Absolutely. And I think that is actually where to speak to Robert Redford again is one of his best scenes because he's navigating so much. And, you know, also, you know, Mary Mapes is also doing the same thing because she's like the go between between both of them where Mm -hmm. she's trying to please the corporate and she's trying to please Dan and make sure it all goes smoothly yeah, totally agree. Fantastic. Fantastic scene. Yeah. 
So James Vanderbilt wrote two great scenes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the rest of the film happened. Yeah. So we talked about Kate and we talked about Robert Redford, but the movie is really, it's about the investigation, but the B story sort of is Mary Mapes' relationship with Dan Rather. Because when they show her with her family, they show her dad as this alcoholic who was abusive when she was growing up. And that film tries to hammer that Dan Rather is her father. There is a, a very bad scene where in a plane, Elizabeth Moss and Dennis Quaid, who are part of the investigative team run by Mary, try to tell us that. It's just exposition. They tell us exactly yeah. what I just told you. Right. And it makes no sense. <laughs> I, yeah, this feels really forced in just this idea of we want to give her more of a personal life. We want to explain how she got to the point that she is now. It's just completely unneeded, I would argue. And the way that they try to force it as if to say, oh, her horrible father, she has that relationship with, with him. And then Dan Rather is operating as this father figure. What purpose does this serve, really? It doesn't serve anything. And like, if you wanted to show us the rapport between as as colleagues, as people who respect each other as, pe- as human beings, there is a very good scene later on where... Right. After it all happens, he comes basically to tell her that he'll have to apologize for the story. And in that scene, you sh- you see that report between them. Maybe not in what the script is giving them to say. They're just pouring each other drinks and talking. But in the performance of Redford and Blanchett, in that scene, you see the years of respect and love between these work colleagues who have been through it all. And even though right. this feels like bigger than anything that they've been through the respect and love for each other is still there. So the mm-hmm. the actress could have done it, James Vanderbilt. You didn't need to give us exposition. Because <laughs> then you also have another scene where her father is like calling some news outlet and openly just bashing her his own daughter. They get on the phone and it's a whole thing. And it's just, I, I don't know. It's, com- again, completely unnecessary. <laughs> Absolutely. So we talked about Kate and Robert. We think they, they're very good together. Their chemistry yeah. together is really good. They know they play off each other well. Most of their scenes together are sharp and it ju- they just flow well. What are the chances you have something alcoholic in there? Better than average. <sighs> How long have we known each other? Oh, Jesus, is it that bad? <sighs> they're going to start an investigation. And CBS wants to appoint an independent panel to take a look at how the story is put together. And I'm going to announce it. Tomorrow. <laughs> I'm going to apologize for the story. On air. Andrew asked you to apologize? He didn't ask. Dan, that's... Surrender. Ever since you know. Burkett changed his story, Andrew feels that CBS can't afford the risk to his reputation. Oh, God, he knew. Even before we went down there, he just wanted to get Burkett on tape. Mary, you've got to promise me something. Stop worrying about me. No, well, that's not going to happen. you got to protect yourself now. What did you think of the other actors? I, there is Elizabeth Moss, Dennis Quaid, mm. and Topher Grace. They sort of form the three other people in this small team that Mary manages. Yeah. <laughs> um not great. I mean, Elizabeth Moss 
is has now really become one of our most celebrated actresses, right? Yeah. <laughs> and seeing her in a role like this where she's basically just in the role of like the Ellen Page and in Inception <laughs> of just being like, <laughs> I'm dumber than everyone around me. I'm going to yeah. ask several questions and ask as the audience surrogate. Yeah. And not really even show my own journalistic, <laughs> you know, anything. She's just there to ask questions like, why is that? And who and what? The script doesn't serve her at all. She suffers oh, the most. Truly. Yeah. And I mean, Topher Grace, I don't know how we feel about him as an actor overall, but didn't really work for me, especially in that one very cringeworthy scene. <laughs> and I know you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> where um, he is sort of lambasting against the corporate Mm -hmm. leaders about like, hey, Viacom, you want to be in cahoots with them? And it's all conflicts of interest, yada, 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 doing sort of like what Mark Ruffalo does in Spotlight, basically. But, you know, in that movie, it's a little better. (laughs) And also, you know, it's another monologue scene. And when you have in the same movie, that scene with Stopher Grace and then Kate doing her monologue. It's just like, he had so, no chance. No, I know. <laughs> yeah, he's he's fine, but just not really up for that sort of task. And Dennis Quaid sort of wasted. It just feels like there wasn't a lot of thought put into the team around her, or maybe there was and it was just cut out because you didn't really need that much. But also, like, there's that scene at the end where... Dennis Quaid and Topher Grace are, they're both fired or resigned mm-hmm. and they like have a handshake and sort of like, Hey, you know, you're, you're hippie scum and you're jarhead or whatever, <laughs> you know, they have their little repartee moment yeah. as if to say like, these two have been odds for this whole movie and now here they are coming together. But like, that wasn't even <laughs> addressed that much earlier in the film. Like we don't have any idea what their relationship was really. <laughs> Yeah, no, you're right. It just comes out of nowhere as if these people, like, we need to care about this friendship or that we yes. saw this friendship <laughs> develop over the movie. I don't know. I it, it just feels like there was some sort of interference here. I don't know if it was a studio thing or just what just it was. The, the movie was too long and they decided like to concentrate yeah. on Kate, probably. I think, you know, this movie was shot in Australia to accommodate Kate, who was living there at the time. So all these American actors actually flew to Australia. But what it afforded being in Australia is that a lot of the cast and crew were Australian. And I think I really love Noni Hazelhurst, Mm -hmm. who plays Stacey Keish's wife, Nikki Burkett. It's a small part, and but it's... It, she has one dynamite, it's not even a scene, it's one dynamite moment where after Mary Mapes completely doesn't rise up to her promises of protecting the witness. So no, Noni Hazelhurst, as his wife, comes in and to tell her off. It's basically, Mary, you failed, you said you're not going to do this, and now he's sick, and you're blaming him, you're making him the full guy. It's such a dynamite scene. I loved her so much in that one little moment. And of course, she has played, of course, she has worked with Kate before. She has played her mother in Little Fish from 2005. I agree. That's another another case of someone just making so much of just a little bit of screen time. It feels like one of those moments that sometimes you get in these kinds of I don't know if you could call it a thriller, but, you know, just like the the either news or political or 
legal dramas where you're interacting with people's real lives and you see the other side of it and you see this person being like they they feel like they've been so greatly affected by this and they didn't really ask for this yeah and so that yeah i agree that's again making the most of a very very limited part and really she makes a bigger impression than people like topher grace and elizabeth moss and dennis quaid so (laughs) Good for her. Yeah, who have, you know, much bigger parts. So, Kevin, you're the host of And the Runner-Up Is, which is a podcast about the Oscars. Yeah. And so we have to talk about awards. This movie premiered at TIFF in 2015. It was greeted very well at TIFF. Reviews were really positive, and everybody talked about Kate's performance. And for a while, like, between TIFF and until the movie was actually released... Everybody was talking about which movie will Kate Blanchett be nominated for? Because this movie actually came out before Carol. So even though Carol was already reviewed at Cannes from May, I've seen Carol early. I was lucky to see it early at one of those um, building buzz screening before it even went to Cannes. So I was always very like, you people are crazy. Because once you see both movies, there is just no way. that she's going to be nominated for Truth Over Carol. But what did you think of that small window about awards? (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I just remember that being a huge year for Kate Blanchett overall, that there was that she was always getting in for something and it quickly became that it would be Carol. But, you know, she also had Cinderella that year. I mean, that was a big year for Kate. Yeah, people Uh, were even saying she she should get a supporting nomination for Cinderella. Yeah, which I mean, I wouldn't have minded. I I like her in that. Um, But yeah, I just ultimately there was so much buzz overall for Carol and there was so much built up because I mean, at least for me, it didn't come out in in my neck of the woods until late December. So this felt like it was all building up to this one big performance. Yeah, once the box office receipts came out it was pretty clear that truth was not going to happen even though it is a very baity type of performance that arguably that kind of thing would get in more than what she does in carol so it's an interesting twist of fate there but yeah just from the the quality of the films themselves to just how enchanting she is in carol compared to this where she's still very good but just not anywhere like this is a this is a special Kate Blanchett performance, you yeah. know, that and, had no chance. <laughs> and there was even a time when people were talking about how she's going to go supporting for Carol to go lead for Truth and get double oh, nominated. Yeah, <laughs> which good on her and her management in that she didn't do that. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> which again, I mean, I don't even know if she would have even gotten in for lead if she had actually done that. probably wouldn't i think you're right about one thing once the box office came out and nobody cared about this movie nobody saw to see it it just became very clear that it's gonna be about carol but my question is because to your point you said this is probably baitier than carol and we've Mm -hmm. seen these sort of movies that are around an actor usually in best actress And it's just the performance. Everything else is not up to par to the performance. And they do get nominated. The Wife is one still. Alice is another. But, you know, those movies, I think, did better box office. And maybe they were better received than this. But I don't know if 
if it was the one Kate Blanchett movie post Blue Jasmine coming out in 2015, would there have been more support for it instead of like, oh, this is fine. Carol is coming in six weeks. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I, I think um, one thing, though, is that, you know, she had won two Oscars at this point and she had, what, six nominations already. And so I sort of don't know if there would have even been that much of a drive to get her nominated again so soon after even though there tends to be like that afterglow nomination that people get but yeah i don't know it just was a really bad combination of all of those elements and even if you take all of those out honestly let's just say there was no carol there was no cinderella even there was maybe even no spotlight Mm -hmm. (laughs) i still sort of think this film would just get lost in the shuffle overall just because it again didn't do anything box office wise and mm-hmm. the reviews were middling there was even some controversy with it with cbs that they wouldn't air any ads for the film and les moonves the president at the time just didn't want to condemn it publicly but was opposed to it essentially i mean cbs is not shown very positively in this movie no <laughs> You are listening to Sundays with Kate, the podcast series about the films of Kate Blanchett. Don't miss the three-part miniseries about her Oscar-winning performance in Blue Jasmine. Three episodes, three guests, three perspectives. In part one, we discuss Kate Blanchett as the real auteur of Blue Jasmine and the many ways her performance makes her the author of the film. In part two, We talk about the similarities to Tennessee Williams, A Streetcar Named Desire, the character of Blanche Dubois, clearly the blueprint for Jasmine, the many actresses who played Blanche or were inspired by her, from the women in Pedro Almodovar's movies to Jenna Rollins in Woman Under the Influence to most recently Carrie Mulligan in Wildlife. And in the third and final part, we discuss Jasmine and her sisters, Annie Hall, Helen St. Clair in Bullets Over Broadway, Maria Elena in Vicky Cristina Barcelona, and Cecilia in The Purple Rose of Cairo, among others. All these episodes are now available wherever you listen to podcasts or at sundayswithkate.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate and review. Now back to Sundays with Kate. One other thing I wanted to talk about is like, since it's based on Mapes's book, did you feel that it was very one-sided? And even if it is sometimes like with some stories, that's fine if it's one-sided. Did we need to hear the other side? In this case, the other side being CBS or I don't know, the Republican Party. I don't even know who would represent the other side. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, I think it very much does lionize these journalists as sort of these, even though they work at 60 Minutes, they still feel like underdogs. And so Mm -hmm. there's a natural rooting factor there. They're not presented as actual corporate people. They're presented as they have to make corporate happy. Even though also they did make this very massive mistake, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Yes, we do have those forces that do oppose these characters but because the film is set up this way we do 
naturally sympathize with Mary and the rest of this team of journalists. But for me, at least, I sort of struggle with, yeah, how it does come off a little one-sided sometimes with its approach, even if I think that, again, there's something really interesting at at the heart of the film, which was that idea of, like we were talking about, how people could focus on this one element Mm -hmm. of the story, even though there's a broader story. That, at the end of the day, is an interesting enough discussion to where I'm a little bit more forgiving of the fact that there's very little three-dimensional opposition in the film. It feels like there isn't really uh, both sides here, but also I sort of don't mind it at the same time. I don't know. It's hard to explain. (laughs) (laughs) If they had taken that nugget that you were talking about and made the movie about that and more dynamic with that idea, maybe this would have been interesting. Which brings me also to just the filmmaking style of James Vanderbilt. He has no style. The movie just, it looks fine. It could have been an actual CBS procedural that shows on Mm. Wednesday night at 9 (laughs) p.m. Yeah, not not even cable. <laughs> Net- <laughs> broadcast network <laughs> level of production value here. Yeah, so it's very surprising that he got this movie greenlit with him as a writer-director. Yes, he wrote Zodiac. Yes, he wrote The Amazing Spider-Man. Both of those, those movies were successful. Zodiac is a great movie because of David Fincher's um, <laughs> direction. But his script is also good. We're not going to shortchange him. And this script could have been good. It's not as good as Zodiac. This script it's fine. It's not great. We already talked about that. But I'm just surprised he managed to get this greenlit and managed to get Kate Blanchett and Robert Redford to star in it. Mm-hmm. Is it because of, you know, we talked about the, the salad of his career and he has done so many things produced here and wrote here and directed only this movie so far. Do you have any ideas why he managed to get this greenlit as a director? <laughs> he is a male in Hollywood. So... <laughs> That tends to help out, you know. He's definitely followed the the sort of template of guys we see who write a movie that is very critically acclaimed. It is more of an indie, even though he's working with David Fincher. It's certainly more of an indie, and then goes to work. Hey, here's here's you know here's the Spider-Man franchise that you can now <laughs> write, and then you know proving himself just as someone who could do indies and someone who can. I, I, I hesitate to say that he could pull off like a blockbuster successfully because of the <laughs> Spider-Man <laughs> movies were not exactly the best, but his past with with Zodiac, I'm I'm sure certainly helped. And also the fact that he is a Vanderbilt. <laughs> let's let's just get that out yeah, of the way. Of I mean. It, Part of a very, very wealthy family that, you know, he has some pull and some resources to him. That's how he managed to do it. You're absolutely right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this was just another thing that I believe was also mentioned on the uh, on our friends at the This Hot Oscar Buzz podcast when they talked about truth. I wonder how much this would have worked as a limited series Mm. instead of just as a two hour film, because I think you could get into a lot more of the procedure and also the themes that we were talking about that only really appear in the end. And also, I almost wonder if you could even extend it out, have more of us getting to know Mary through her investigation into Abu Ghraib, almost, you know, 
going through that whole journey and how she would eventually win a Peabody for it and then make it almost like a, a real epic sort of rise and fall situation where she gets so much acclaim for this breakthrough story and then she has the momentum to then follow it up with this, what we see in truth, and then you see the very rapid decline of her career. I think that would be sort of an interesting little limited series, maybe, maybe yeah. on FX. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the Abu Ghraib story, I guess it maybe they didn't do it because it has no dramatic tension. It's just, it was a story. They did everything right. They broke it. They won a Peabody. There's no tension. But... <laughs> But just to do the procedure similar to Spotlight, which was also a story that mostly they did everything right. But there yeah. is the procedure there was interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think this works better as just a film or would you have preferred them to expand it out more? I mean, the one thing that I, I pause at is that I didn't want to see any more of any of these people. <laughs> Oh, that's Kate is playing Barry Mapes. I was just like two hours. I'm I'm okay. This is about yeah. the right amount of time. <laughs> you make a good point. <laughs> yeah. But if you're listening to this podcast, you're a fan of Kate Blanchett, you like her movies, I would say this is a movie that if you find it on cable, if you want to stream it at home, yeah, you'll have, you know, there is a very good performance holding the center of it. And that performance is by Kate. So by all means, watch Truth. Yeah, I'd say it's worth it for her and yes. her alone. <laughs> and a little bit of Robert Redford, too. Yeah. yeah, no, Robert Redford is very good. And their rapport yeah. together is great. Yeah. So I want to ask you um, questions about Kate Blanchett like we do on Sundays with Kate. Do you remember the first time you saw Kate Blanchett in a movie? I believe so. Yes. I can't say for sure, but um, well, I'm I'm 29, so I can't really say that I was watching things like Elizabeth and even the talented Mr. Ripley at that time because I was like eight or nine. Maybe I wasn't ready for it. I think probably my first interaction with Kate Blanchett was the first Lord of the Rings film. That was just a very powerful moment for me watching this actress who I hadn't really seen that much of before be this sort of ethereal mystical spirit otherworldly kind of uh performance <laughs> there you know what i mean that's that i was just kind of entranced by it and are you still entranced by her all these years later yeah i think so yeah i mean like i said i i see most of her movies i, I saw where'd you go bernadette in theater so you I would me say and seven yeah. other people <laughs> yeah so <laughs> I feel like, yeah, she just does have that that screen presence about her that I still find so captivating all these years later. I do, too. Hence yeah. this podcast. Um, <laughs> right. I would hope so if you started a podcast about her. What's your favorite Kate Blanchett performance? You've, you've definitely heard this plenty of times before, but it is Carol for me. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just, it combines so many things that make her... Great. Again, the alluring quality of her, the fact that she has that sort of towering presence and also that hint of vulnerability that you don't expect that that sneaks in that just sort of breaks your heart. And that's, you know, clearly a a film that 
I, I responded to greatly and still just treasure. I, I hope that that is a performance that will come to be known as one of her absolute at least top five performances. Yeah, yeah. for sure. It's an unimpeachable performance and also just such a great film. Like she has made great films, but maybe this with Carol, it was a combination of a great performance and a great film coming together. And also she is without doubt the center of it because she has made great films where they're not really about her character. Yeah. And it just weirdly felt like something a little bit different that we hadn't seen as much from her. Just a lot more of a vulnerability. And, you know, she she's somebody who's known for her glamour. So in Carol, right. <laughs> she brought that in, that glamour that you see her in, you know, like the red carpet and in her real life and just yeah. in her other screen performances and gave it, you know, that vulnerability you talked about. Yes, those beautiful coats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So is there a movie where you thought Kate was underrated? Like a movie that maybe you like that other people don't mention as much? Um, I mean, I would say that she's pretty properly rated in most things that, you know, she's typically praised for almost everything she does, at least at this point in her career. Uh, but I guess I would say one that I still think she deserves a little more credit for is The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. I respond to that film a little more than most people. <laughs> um, I know that people consider it one of the lesser of David Fincher's filmography, but I just found that character to be so tricky to play mm-hmm. for her. And I think she has an interesting chemistry with Brad Pitt, especially in that mid the middle sequence where they're meeting in the middle of their ages. I was a little bit surprised that she didn't get a little more uh, awards buzz for that. You mentioned how tricky that part is. And we talked about that. We we already did an episode on Benjamin Button and we talked about yeah. how tricky that part is and how it's multifaceted, but people only maybe see Daisy as just the girl in Benjamin's life. Mm-hmm. So listeners, if you want more about Benjamin Button, listen to that episode. <laughs> yeah. And also she has to pull off all that old age makeup <laughs> at yes. one point. And do the voice, the old person voice right yeah it is With the mouthful of cotton <laughs> yeah <laughs> it is totally underrated yeah. who's your favorite kate blanchett scene partner who yeah i mean she 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 has a, she has a lot of good ones she she can have chemistry with anyone she can have chemistry with a, a lamp um <laughs> but i mean is it standard to say rooney mara at this point probably <laughs> That's the most I, common answer to that question, but it's also such it's also the right answer. So Yeah. So I, I, I was trying to I was trying to be a little more uh creative with that, but I just can't really think of any any time where she was better on screen with someone than she was with Rooney Mara. Yeah, they're great so, together. And now they're yeah. gonna be in the Guillermo del Toro Nightmare Alley. I know, which so, is juicy. Can't yeah. wait. Hopefully they'll have lots of scenes together in that. Yes, and the same sort of period, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is around yep. the same time when Carol is set. Totally, you're right. Those pictures from the set kind of could have been a sequel to Carol because I, think I know Kate, <laughs> the, Kate had the, the same make. wig or <laughs> yep. something or a wig that looks very similar. Yes, cannot wait. Oh my god, <laughs> me too. Who would you like to see her work with? I. 
am interested in seeing her explore more of that dark side to her. And so the obvious one that comes to mind for me is just Yorgos Lanthimos, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Just in some sort of a favorite-esque sort of film that really favors, you know, actresses, actressing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, she was the first choice for the Rachel Weisz role, but they couldn't make schedules work. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's try to make something happen because I feel like she lends herself so perfectly to that twisted style sort of thing. Yeah, um, no, I want to see that. Yorgos, what are you doing next? Do a kid movie. <laughs> <laughs> I also thought of just like other types of, I mean, I guess, you know, Guillermo del Toro is now working with her. So there's that. And also, I, this is sort of out of left field, but. I would like a David Lynch collaboration. (laughs) I don't know how that would work, but again, she has a little bit of that supernatural otherworldliness to her sometimes that I'm sure David Lynch could use her for something like that. Yeah. The thing with David Lynch and Kate is that he already has actresses in her age range that he works with Laura Dern and Naomi Watts. So that's probably why they haven't worked together. This is true. This is true. I also thought of Jane Campion, possibly. Again, maybe maybe a costume drama, maybe a darker film, something like The Piano. I mean, I don't know. So, so you want to see Kate Blanchett in a dark film. I really do. I think that's <laughs> that's clear at this point. Just because she she does have that that thing about her that is it's like a, a inner darkness that I think could come out that would be really forceful and powerful with with her screen presence i like that answer and i want to see her in a dark movie too you've convinced (laughs) me (laughs) thank you so much kevin for coming on sundays with kate and talking about truth and before we go please let our listeners know where they can find you and your work well you could find me on twitter at kevin underscore jacobson and my podcast and the runner-up is that Twitter is at Oscar runner-up. And just to delve into a little bit of what we do there is that we talk about what I consider to be the best picture runner-up in each Oscar year. And we're already, we're going backwards, just like Benjamin Button, we're going backwards. <laughs> and uh, we're at the 40s right now. I just recorded an episode with Murtada here talking about A Letter to Three Wives. So if you want to hear more of our lovely banter, you can listen to that. Um, and yeah, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you find uh, find that, which is on every podcast platform. Yeah, I want to ask you about your podcast. What year did you start? So, because you said now you are in the forties, what year did you start with? I started with twenty seventeen, and I recorded that a few weeks after those Oscars had happened, which was we first talked about three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. And yeah, it's been seventy so seventy or so episodes later, and we're almost at the beginning of the Oscars. Wow, you have decades of film history talk, talked about I in do. that podcast. Congratulations, that's great. Yes, thank you so much. And again, you can find that anywhere you can find podcasts. I'm, I'm generally on pretty much every platform at this point, I think. It's a great podcast. Give it a listen and rate and review. And the runner-up is and rate and review Sundays with Kate too. And you can find yeah. me on Twitter at M-E underscore says... 
and follow the podcast on Instagram and Twitter at Sundays with Kate. And until next time, thank you for listening. Bye.